Many businesses and companies decide that they will have a mission statement and a vision statement. The vision statement is what they hope their company will do and what they'll always be striving towards. The vision statement is the way that you might get there. Well, Paul doesn't really give a vision and mission statement as he writes to the church at Rome. But he comes pretty close to giving all the information for it as we read the first seven verses from Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through to 13. His vision. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the peoples extol you. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over all the nations. In him will the Gentiles hope. Paul's vision is that there might be a church in which there are Jews in Christ and there are Gentiles in Christ that are in unity and praising God for the mercy he has shown. That's his great vision for the whole of the nations. He also is looking for the way that that will be achieved and so he goes to the Old Testament. It will be achieved by a Jewish king coming and by being able to reconcile the Jews and, pro- and fulfil all the promises to the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles as well. In other words, what we've got here is a vision that Paul has for the church which really has come from the prophets. For example... He quotes from Moses, something like 1300 BC, where he says, You Gentiles, rejoice. Do it with his people, in verse 10, the Jews. Uh, Then, again, he says, using something from David, 1000 BC, Praise the Lord, you nations. In fact, let all the peoples, Gentiles, and Jews extol him. And then again, in 700 BC, the prophet Isaiah says, this is how it will happen. The root of Jesse will spring up, that is, from the line of David, that is, in fulfilled in Jesus. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, 
not only will the Jews rejoice, but also the Gentiles will hope. Paul has a large vision that there will be a people from all over the world, Jews and Gentiles, praising God and enjoying each other's company equally. Paul was a man of great expectations. He had seen good things happen and he expected greater things to happen. When he talks about the ministry that he has, he says that in verse 16, I have written to you quite boldly, Because, verse 16, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He saw himself as a priest, a Jewish priest, one who was preaching the gospel and the way that he was going to offer was he was going to offer the Gentiles, those dirty Gentiles, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, made holy by God, by the gospel that he preached. He was going to present those uh, to God and he was going to do it actually in Jerusalem. He had a plan to go to Jerusalem so that he could go there by the feast of Pentecost where the first grain of the harvest was to be offered. And here he was as a priest of the gospel offering up Gentiles to God. That was his thinking. He had been seeing Gentiles converted. He had seen it from Jerusalem all the way around through to Illyricum. When he was met by the Lord Jesus, he went preaching the gospel in the region of Arabia, uh, through Syria, Cilicia, uh, through Galatia, through Asia, through Macedonia, Uh, through Achaia, through to Illyricum. The whole eastern part of the empire, he had seen people converted by God. He takes no claim for it. He says that he himself was used in leading the Gentiles to obey God, but it was by what he had said and done. And what had he said? Well, he'd preach the gospel, which the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first, Gentile. Uh, It was through faith that a person would be saved. This powerful message had seen Jews becoming Christians. And it had also seen many Gentiles becoming Christians in those promises. But it wasn't just by what he said also also by what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was signs, 
and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, he says in verse 18. That remarkable miracle in Lystra that brought the whole town out, uh, the extraordinary miracle of Eutyches in being raised from the dead in Troas. In fact, even more so, the times when aprons, handkerchiefs were taken from him and people were cured both of their sicknesses and of their demon possession in Ephesus. So it was he who had seen these extraordinary miracles brought about by the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he had founded these churches in Jerusalem and Illyricum. He had been seeing these things done right around the eastern part of the empire. So now what does he plan to do? Well, the first thing he's going to do is he plans to take the collection of the, from the churches that he had founded to the Jerusalem poor. He's on his way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. Now, again, I take it that what he's got in mind is he's going as a priest. That is, he, he is bound in the spirit, he says in Acts, in order to get to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost, by the day of the offering of the first fruits of the grain. Here he was going by taking this collection from the Gentiles to give evidence of the first fruits of the great harvest among the Gentiles. So that was his first plan. The second plan, he said, as he wrote from Corinth to Rome, was, I intend to come to you as one who has been given grace to bring Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, I have written to you, he says, in this particular letter quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Although I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another, yet I have been given this grace to make fruit among the Gentiles and so therefore I'm going to intend to come to you and share this gospel that I have amongst you because you are Gentiles. However, what I really want to do is use you as a launching place for a ministry to the Gentiles in the west of the empire and he mentions Spain in particular. Well, this man, as he writes now and has proof in the past of the wonderful work of God in the conversions in the east of the empire, talks about this vision in the west of the empire with great expectations. However, as well as that, he also asks the church at Rome, if they will pray for him as he goes to Jerusalem and then comes to Rome. 
The reason he's going to pray, ask for their uh, prayers is because there are some issues that he will have to face at Jerusalem. And so he writes like this in verse 32. I urge you, brothers and sisters in Rome, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, that you join me in my struggle, how? By praying to God for me. He asks for two two prayers to be answered. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and pray that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there. Let's take it the other way around first. Why would he pray that this great collection, and it was a lot of money, for the poor Christians in Jerusalem should be received well. There were Jews in Jerusalem who were not quite confident about Paul's gospel that he was preaching. He left out Moses. He didn't talk about circumcision. Uh, He didn't make a big thing about days and about foods. In fact, they saw it as a truncated gospel. Well, what he was trying to do was certainly to offer up the Gentiles at Jerusalem, but at the same time he wanted people to be with him in that, the Jews with him in that, so the Jew and Gentile are together in this mercy of God. So that was why he was praying that way. And then he was praying also that he might be kept safe from the unbelievers of Judea. Time and time again he had met opposition from the Judean Jews, the circumcision party. There had been great hostility to him as he had accomplished his work in the east of the empire. So he prays for both of those things. Well, he still had great expectations. What were the outcomes like? The great expectations were were, uh, voiced in 57 AD. What has happened from verse 57 AD through to our own time. Well, what were the immediate outcomes? In verses, in uh, years 57 to 64 AD, till his death, till his martyrdom, we see that when he went to Jerusalem, he was beaten by the Jews in the temple There were two assassination attempts on his life. He was jailed in Caesarea for two years. He then was taken as a prisoner of Rome to Rome. For two whole years he was under house arrest. And then finally, in 64 AD, 
it seems that he was martyred under the persecution at Rome by Nero. Well, that was hardly what he expected. However, when he writes from Rome to the Philippian church, he says to to them, I am under house arrest in Rome now, but I want you to understand that this has happened and been to the advancement of the gospel. The whole of the Praetorian Guard knows that I am in jail for the sake of Christ. Oh, and when he finishes the letter, he also takes a greeting from the household of Caesar. In other words, what had happened was there were people who would never have been reached by the gospel in the way that he'd gone about things in the West, in the East, had now actually come to hear the gospel in the upper echelons of society. If you think back also over those times when he was treated badly, we see that he at least twice preached the gospel in a formal setting to the Jewish leaders. He also preached the gospel in a formal setting to the governor Felix and the governor Festus. He also preached the gospel to a king, Agrippa, and then he would have to give account of his preaching, of his what he's done, uh, to the court of Caesar. So that in fact what seems to be a thwarting of his purposes turned out to have the gospel preached in the upper echelons of the empire which had not happened previously. Now, you might say, well, he was martyred. Yes, he was. Well, what were the longer-term outcomes? There were five letters that he wrote from jail. And this became five of 13 which were included in the New Testament. The New Testament has 26 books. He has written 13 of them. By the turn of the second century, that had been embodied in the New Testament and in the Bible. In other words, people all over the empire at that time had those things available to them. If we take Romans just by itself, we see that uh, there were great movements inspired by Romans. Um, the Latin church father Augustine of Hippo in 386 AD was sitting in the garden when neighbours' children were yelling and playing, take up and read, take up and read. So beside him actually was a copy of Romans, which he read, and he said that the light of that gospel shed into his dark soul. He became one of the most influential of the Latin fathers across the empire of the early church in the 400s. 
Martin Luther in 1515 began his lectures on Romans at Wittenberg. It was there as he looked at it and read it and reread it and lectured and so on that he found that the, ju- the righteousness of God, which he hated because he thought it talked about judgment, was actually the means of salvation and it burst upon his soul and was the trigger for great work right throughout the whole of Europe. John Wesley in 1738, an unconverted, probably, clergyman at that time went to a little meeting where he heard the preface to the Romans by Martin Luther read, where his soul was strangely warmed and there was then the preaching of the great awakening which both he was involved in and other preachers as well. In 1918, there was a Swiss pastor called Karl Barth who published an exposition of Romans. Its effect upon the theological thinking of the time was absolutely profound. Someone said that it was like a bombshell thrown into the theological theologians' playgrounds. Friends, what... In, could easily have been seen as something that was so thwarting of the Apostle Paul in his ministry has turned out to be an extraordinary work, not only in his own time, but down through the centuries. The Bible Society has said, as they gave a report in September 2020, that there have been something like five to six billion copies of the Bible sold. There have been something like 2,255 languages in which the New Testament itself has been translated. So, what do we say to all of that? I think sometimes we think that we are thwarted in our attempts now by the pandemic to do things and to do great things for God. I encourage you to keep on praying for righteousness through Christ and peace in Christ and joy in the Holy Spirit. Keep on doing it because God's rewards and workings are greater than what we could ever imagine as it was with the Apostle Paul. So I encourage you in these times when you feel maybe discouraged to keep on working at it. Keep on remembering that Paul had great expectations It looked like that they were thwarted, but in the end it has proved something beyond what he could ever, ever, ever imagined. I'll say a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for confronting Paul by your son Jesus Christ and overwhelming him with your mercy. 
so that he was captured by the righteousness of Christ and the peace and the joy that follows for the sake of your kingdom and for our sake. Grant us that the same Holy Spirit in abundance so that we might praise you, rejoice in Christ's righteousness and peace and abound in hope. Father, thank you that you heard the prayers of Paul and his Roman friends and answered them with a greater blessing than he could ever have imagined. Hear our prayers, even when apparently thwarted to our great blessing and the blessing of others. Thank you for including us Gentiles in your great salvation. Amen.